You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Apple kicked off its Worldwide Developers Conference on Monday, and Apple Insider was on the scene. With iOS 10, Mac OS Sierra, WatchOS 3, and a new tvOS all due to arrive later this year, developers have a lot to look forward to in 2016. As usual, Dan Dilger was in San Francisco covering the event live, and we go to him now in this special edition of the Apple Insider Podcast. So, with me today for a very special episode of the Apple Insider Podcast, WWDC 2016 edition, is Dan Dilger, live from San Francisco. How's it going, Dan? It's good. It's uh, really windy outside, so I'm trying to find a quiet place to do this. Indeed. Here's a little bit of music going on as well. Well, this is the quietest place I've found so far, so So, hopefully they won't kick us out while I'm doing it here in somebody's lobby. (laughs) It's a party. So uh, what did you think of today's announcements? There was a lot going over. There were some things that were expected. There were some things that I'd kind of speculated about that um, ended up being addressed. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think they were... If you look at kind of the order they went through things, um, starting with watchOS, what they attacked was the the most obvious problem with it, which is speed of apps. Um, right now, it's kind of it's not terribly useful to have apps on the watch because you launch an app and the screen shuts off before it loads. And um, there there are a few apps that I use on my watch, but um, having you know tackling that as the problem really shows that they are aware that that's that's the weakest link to be patched. Right. So instead of going down a feature by feature as they listed it, what was the, what was the number one thing that stuck out in your mind as, uh, as somewhat surprising that they, that they announced on stage? Um, the, I guess it isn't surprising because this is something that I wrote about before, but, um, one of the things that I anticipated that they kind of went further along than I thought they would was uh, what they're doing with messages on iOS and on all their platforms. Um, and kind of more broadly, the the things they're doing with messages is opening it up to third parties to basically run um, essentially an app within messages. And it uses the same extension architecture that they debuted a couple of years ago to open up things like uh, keyboards and last year there was content blockers in Safari. So what they're doing is they're, they created a mechanism that safely opens up basically a plugin architecture and they're now uh, creating more extension points or, or places you can plug in a specific type of extension throughout the operating system. They're doing it you know, on the Mac and they're doing it on iOS. And what it's doing is it's allowing developers to extend the features that uh, Apple parts of the platform that have been under kind of controlled um, by Apple in the past. Now they're kind of opening that up and it was interesting that they did it with messages and they're also doing it with maps. And then they gave a, a series of other examples that they've done that with, but those are the two things that, I kind of had a wish list. I, I wanted them to do that, and what they delivered was kind of more than I was expecting. Right. So, so they, I, I know uh, was it uh, Craig Federighi who uh, kind of teased the the Square integration 
Um, was yeah, that was an example yeah. of yeah. one of the things you could do. So it's, it's kind of like this idea of messages as a platform is kind of uh, starting to take shape. Uh, I think other companies are also working on this kind of technology, right? Like, um, say, Snapchat, maybe, or for, for example, or something like that. Well, yeah, basically everyone is, is working on, on making messages because no one else has a platform. I mean, Google has a platform. Microsoft has a platform that nobody uses. And apart from that, I mean, Apple is the platform for for mobile devices. Um, and Google's not fully control of, of Android. The individual licensees can do whatever they want. And Google has what now, like a half dozen different messaging-related apps. So um, what all the other companies in the mobile industry are doing, what many of them are doing, most of the most successful ones, starting with Facebook, um, and in China, the equivalent of Facebook and Twitter, WeChat, things like that, they're all, um, their platform is messaging. They're a messaging app, and they're turning it into something more than that. They're turning it into basically the equivalent of if you had a, a whole OS. So they're adding ways to buy things. They're adding ways to um, kind of talk in an entertaining way that captivates people and keeps them engaged. And with messages, um, Apple's been kind of incrementally doing that on their own. Last year, they introduced some new features of being able to record video right as you, right within Messages app, record audio, send your voice, things like that. Now what they're doing is they've added a, a series of other things that are kind of reminiscent of there's features from Facebook, there's features I've seen in Chinese apps where you can do things like, you know, the idea of stickers and um, a number of other things that they demonstrated where you're having sort of engaging ways to chat with people. Right, like but the, new, the, the new chat bubbles and the... Uh, the backgrounds yeah, so you, and all that stuff. You can stuff send a chat and it, it you know, hits the screen and jiggles everything around in various different ways. So adding that kind of personality and then also um, the more interesting aspect of that is opening up with third-party developers. You can basically create messaging apps. And the simplest thing is stickers. So you don't even have to be a developer. You, you have basically just put images on sale for some you know, trivial amount that people buy. And you can not only send them like giant emoji, but you can also peel them off and stick them on top of each other or stick them on top of an image. So it, it's, you know, a clever, a clever idea there. Right. But also that's kind of the entry level point. You can do much more complex things. And some of the things that they, um, it demonstrated was, uh, like you mentioned, square cash, being able to send cash, um, being able to order things. You can, um, have one of the uh, app ideas that they demonstrated was this cone creation app where one person picks a cone type, like an ice cream cone. So one person mm -hmm. picks the cone it sends it to the other person. And then when they were, they get it, it, it's like an object that they can manipulate. Right. Um, and also they're so like, yeah, right. And also they're, they're integrating um, stuff from their own, ecosystem, right? They're bringing in uh, digital touch um, to messages and they're kind of uh, making a more cohesive experience between all the, uh, all the different hardware uh, systems that they have going on. Did yeah. So on, on the watch, that's one of the things I wrote about a couple of the articles that I did was, you know, they had this kind of interesting thing to, to message on the watch with, but you can only message other watch owners. 
And so if you don't know a bunch of other people that have a watch, it's kind of limiting what you can do. And um, so it's kind of obvious to me. I mean, it's like it seemed obvious that that's one of the things they'd be working towards. Um, I wasn't certain that that's what they're going to do, but they, they really went beyond that. So not only can you do the things you can do on a watch where you can, you know, draw a little sketch or something, but you can also um, sketch characters on the watch as well. Right. right. And um, do the heartbeat thing and, and other other interesting ways to communicate. Right. So they, they just kind of went full hog and, and created all kinds of different ways to message and also integrating emoji. Cause if you're trying to use emoji, sometimes, you know, you go looking through the, the emoji keyboard and there's a lot of stuff to go through. So, you know, unless there's a couple things that you normally send out, you know, regularly send out, it's hard to, you know, kind of memorize 300 different emoji icons you could possibly use. So the idea of, finding words in your text and offering you can change them into emoji if you want to right. somebody joked i saw on twitter that they could maybe do the that in the opposite direction so old people oh <laughs> you know, right you yeah crazy yeah, line of sure. emojis from somebody it's like here put this back in english for me because i'm sure someone uh, will uh create an app that will uh hook into the api somehow but speaking of um uh kind of like the data detectors Kind of thing. They Apple announced a lot of uh, AI-driven uh, projects that are just now coming to fruition. So they announced a lot of stuff with Siri today. That was one of the main. That was kind of one of the one of the overarching themes I I felt through the entire presentation. It, it's it's now on. Um, it's going to be coming to Mac OS. Well, the, the newly renamed Mac OS. And they announced some other things with uh, with Siri. What what did you think about that? Uh, well, they built in a whole API for developers to extend it. So basically, developers come up with a couple of vocabularies of words that um, Siri can use to help trigger to know what to do with the uh, what you say. So when you're talking to Siri, first thing it does is figure out what you're saying, and then it has to parse the language that you said and kind of derive the intent that you have. And they have a really smart system that works in a lot of languages. And people have kind of compared it to Echo, which is one of the articles that I wrote, Amazon's work. Amazon is, the people that have used the Echo compare it to Siri and they say, oh, it works better. And there's a couple of reasons for that. You know, it's technically um, has more speak, you know, it, it's plugged into the wall. So it has uh, Wi-Fi, strong network signal, and it has constant power. So it can have multiple mics going and do better um, voice recognition. But one of the other things that Apple has not been as, as good at historically is figuring out what you actually meant to say. And when it works well, it, it's great, but it's hard to get it to do very complex things. And so they've been doing a lot of work on that, and some of the stuff they showed was really impressive. But it's really a, an engine that's it, it not only um, works well in English, in terms of pulling things apart, but it's also designed to work in the 30-something other languages that uh, Apple supports Siri in. And what that does is it gives developers the ability to, to all they have to do is um, provide some clues to Siri about what's going to, um, why users would be using Siri for their app. And uh, then Basically, Apple's doing the work behind the scenes to make it work everywhere, so around the world, and languages the developer doesn't even need to know how to speak. 
Right, right. So that's a definite advantage um, that Siri has over, say, uh, Alexa on the Echo, right? Um, right, and this is the the article that I wrote that was talking about an analyst who had done some studying, was looking at how people use it, even just in the United States, and he was showing you, you know, clearly the most people using any kind of voice service is overwhelmingly um, the traffic that's going to Siri. So Apple knows a lot about what people are asking for, and that gives them the ability to um, respond to that and they know what to work on. Mm-hmm. There's right. now like a billion devices that are listening uh, for Siri commands, um, and as it becomes better and more useful, there's even going to be more. Right. So this is kind of like opening the door to what people have kind of been waiting for with Siri. I, up until now, you could do a limited number of tasks, and they were, you know, they were fairly well implemented. You could you, uh, tell your device to work with, uh, you know, certain trusted apps. But now that it's open to third-party um, developers, it kind of uh, blows the door wide open to a, a whole new world of possibilities, right? Yeah, I mean, it's basically your your voice enabling a lot of different apps. So Siri is, I mean, Apple's working on the framework of Siri, and then other developers can extend it in ways that um, do something interesting that users of the app would want to do. Yeah. Did you did you see anything uh, that caught your eye? Maybe maybe uh, either in the keynote or uh, you know just kind of walking around, listening to people chit chat. Did you uh, did you did you see anything that? was particularly uh, uh, eye-catching as far as what could be happening in the near future with Siri as far as uh, app integration goes? Uh, well, some, you know, some of the examples they gave were things that we've already seen competitors doing. I mean, just being able to tap into things like ride-sharing, you know, call me an Uber kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's right now, there's a limited number, probably six different categories of things that Siri, six different categories of basically app-like functions that Siri can handle. Um, and that's going to increase in the future, but uh, it's things like calling a cab or messaging or VoIP, um, placing a, a voice call. So apps like Skype or like um, anything else that's, that's used for voice calls can respond to uh, commands that would normally patch through to messages or making a phone call and can be used the same way. So if you have a contact that you always use WeChat to talk to them, or if you have something that you, a, a particular person is always on Skype, you can say that you want to Skype this person and Siri will know how to handle that. Right. And there's also a, a couple other um, AI-related announcements that they had today, uh, including I think they, they dropped the, uh, the buzzword machine learning. So what are they doing on that front? Uh, well, there's a couple things. I mean, the, the computer learning in terms of uh, features for photos was really interesting because they're doing a lot of the same things that um, Google has, has been doing with photos. Uh, it was kind of impressive, you know, looking at your photos and being able to, um, I don't know how many years ago it was that they introduced face detection. And in photos, you could do all this, you could categorize all your um you could teach your computer, you teach your Mac how to categorize your photos by the people that are in it. And it worked pretty good, but you couldn't do it on your phone. So you're just kind of thinking what your computer had done. And now phones are powerful enough to where they're doing that on the, on the phone. 
And so in addition to people and geotagging places, there's also, it can, it does a lot of calculations on the photos and picks out objects and um, places, like knowing that you're in the forest or knowing that you're on the beach and can categorize your photos into groups. And I think a lot of us take just tons of pictures and so you end up with a sort of overwhelming bunch of pictures. Um, and it's kind of hard to sort through sometimes. So being able to, to ask Siri by your voice or even just typing in a query and saying, I want to see pictures of, you know, vacation in Lake Tahoe, something like that. You can put together a lot of um, things and have like functional access to your photos or pictures of a certain person, um, things like that. And it also does it kind of automatically. So it creates um, albums dynamically from things that are related together. So pictures you took at a party or pictures you took on vacation. So that was really an interesting way to make photos more useful mm -hmm. and kind of find the signal in the noise. Um, some of the other machine learning they're doing relates to suggesting what you're going to type next and looking intelligently at content instead of just like what word you normally type after that word, but looking at, okay, you're talking about this subject. That means you're going to use this word, not that word. Right. And kind of offering things that would be useful to be able to do. And just kind of the underlying principle is Apple's doing a lot of that in the silicon on the device rather than um, taking, when you ask a question, having to send it to a server and do it on the cloud and then send back a result. Being able to do it on the device would be faster. And it's also an element of privacy there, which is something that Apple was putting a lot of attention on. Yeah, they did mention something about a, a what was it differential? Um, uh, what do they call it? There's a term for it. I believe it's a, a differential privacy. I think it's called. It's a yeah, certain type of them. Basically, it's like the idea of there's a lot of math behind it, but it's taking samples of information from people and being able to pull out trends. Mm -hmm. And in general. Um, on kind of a simpler level, a lot of companies already do uh, an, um, anonymizing data. That's what Apple did with the Genius feature in iTunes, be able to understand how to put playlists together for you. Google does it. Um, there's a lot of companies that figure out what makes sense in a situation based on what a lot of people have already done. But what Apple is doing, and I think they've patented it, is look into how to collect data in a limited way, in a way that can't be traced back to you. Mm -hmm. um, because there's been attempts to anonymize data before, and one of the examples was Netflix. They were putting people's reviews out there, and they were stripping their name off it. So it was technically anonymous. But because you could cross-reference that with other reviews that were already published, you could figure out who the people were. And so it becomes a privacy problem. And there's a lot of examples like that where... Um, you may think that you're protecting privacy, but you're actually not really. And what Apple is doing is creating a, a mechanism where you can actually sample people's data. You can take their data without affecting their privacy. Right. I think the way, uh, I don't know if I'm right, uh, but the way I understand it is that they're taking little snippets of data and also introducing, instead of stripping information, they're introducing like little little bits of uh, like white noise, for example, I guess you'd say. And then over time, they get enough of these data points that they can uh, project trends um, 
based on you know a, a per user or you know, from tens of thousands of users and just kind of collect all that data together and derive some sort of result or whatever they whatever it is they're looking for right it's it's um because up till now people have been talking about apple won't be able to do the kinds of things that google and facebook and other kind of surveillance ad networks do because they're they're not collecting all your data mm-hmm. they're not they're not creating this huge dossier of information about you to know what, what you like and what you're going to click on and what you might buy if we put that ad in front of you and apple's been saying we don't do that we don't collect a bunch of data on you because we're not trying to sell you. We're not trying to sell you to advertisers. We're trying to basically sell you our computer. Um, and there's been a lot of criticism. It's kind of a Google talking point, and a lot of journalists have kind of picked this up and run with it. That this idea that Apple can't collect data, and so they can't have any of this useful sort of um, crowdsourced learning about how things work. And you know that's clearly not the case because Apple was one of the first companies doing that with things like Genius. But what they're showing now is that you can sample data without having without introducing a privacy problem. So you get you're benefiting from um, a company that's has some access to a lot of people's data, but they don't need to know where any of it actually came from. Right. So it's not just your names taken off. It's also you know the series of processes that you're talking about that result in useful data without uh, having a bunch of information on a server about you that if that server gets hacked, guess what? Everybody or anybody can find out and use that information against you in various ways, whether it's right. hurting your credit or stealing your identity or any number of other, other things. Right. So it goes along with uh, Apple's credo of uh, keeping user user data or private data private, right? It, yeah, uh, it really changes that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Touch upon this. Uh, on stage today, but um, the HFS Plus format, the file uh, file system format, is getting a little bit of a uh, little bit of an overhaul with the Apple file system, quote unquote. So, uh, what is that completely all? Completely overhauled, yeah, completely overhauled. So, um, the original Mac file system was from the early '80s, and then in, in the late '80s, uh, or is it late '80s? Maybe late '90s. I think it's in the they turned it into HFS Plus and kind of improved a lot of things that were really old and needed to be fixed, uh, making it a 64-bit file system, I think. Um, but the, there's a lot of uh, assumptions that the file system makes because it was basically designed at a time when you used floppy disks and you know hard drives have a certain profile of how, they, how they're used. And now virtually all computers use, I mean, all iOS devices don't even have a disk. They don't have a physical disk in them. They have memory or um, flash or uh, solid-state storage anyway. And so Apple has designed a a new file system that's completely modern. So it's kind of a jump similar to uh, what um, LLVM did for the development compiler and what Swift is doing for language. So Apple's really, uh, they know what they need in terms of a technology, so they put a lot of effort into making a core technology for the future. And that's what this Apple file system is. So on the uh, customer-facing side, what, what can users expect from this new file system? Are they going to see anything different? Any? Uh... It supports some of the things that we talked about with um, was it ZFS, things like... Uh, um, oh, my brain is fading. Um, snapshots. Is that the right word? Where you can... 
for example, one of the one application is if you were running a fleet of computers in school, you can have kids doing all kinds of things with settings, and you can uh, wipe it all away and go back to a specific state. There's also um, a lot of cases where things are files are duplicated, and it allows you to have like logical copies of files without taking up extra space. And um, one of the other things that they mentioned was, you know, optimization for for running on solid state storage. And um, I haven't seen a lot of information about it. There's a whole session about it tomorrow that I, I'm super interested in. But uh, one of the common problems that affects a lot of people, whether you're on a Mac or whatever, is file corruption. Mm. Just because the the design of the file system is uh, somewhat fragile. So if something goes wrong, it makes your pictures not readable. It makes problems with your disk that are, you know, sometimes difficult to figure out what's going wrong here. And um, that's been kind of like a brewing problem for a long time. And I think that's one of the things that they're targeting um, with this totally new rethought file system. Right. Okay, well, you're going to be uh, attending a bunch of sessions this week, and um, hopefully you can uh, get back with us on Thursday to discuss what you've learned. I'm sure your brain will be super full by that point. Yeah, it's a lot of information to go over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just today, uh, two hours of, uh, I don't know, it's pretty, pretty action-packed, one thing right after the other. They didn't, they didn't waste much time. Uh, fluffing things up this uh, this WWDC. All right. Well, uh, Dan, thanks for taking uh, some time to chat with us, and we'll talk to you later this week. Have a have a good uh, WWDC. All right. Thanks. Sounds good. All right. And that was a special WWDC 2016 edition of Apple Insiders podcast. We'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming on Friday. When Dan Dilger returns, and we wrap up Apple's big event. See you then.